Hey everybody, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Real Sports presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. It is the final installment of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10 of the Michael Jordan documentary. Emily and I break down everything, both episodes, all of the interviews, and articles that have come out about the last dance since it aired this one was a lot of fun to record we think you guys are gonna have a lot of fun listening to it let us know what you think in the comments tweet at us thunder blg on twitter join the facebook group the bullpen cart podcast on facebook search that be a part of the conversation especially now that the last dance is over we got to find other documentaries sports movies all that good stuff to talk about On the next Real Sports, we have a couple ideas kicking around, but we want to hear from you guys. So definitely let us know. We'll put up some polls, all that good stuff. But seriously, guys, we really appreciate all the feedback that you guys have given to us throughout the last dance. If you joined us during this run and have not checked out the other Real Sports that we did before that, definitely go check it out. If you're listening to the other podcasts here on the feed, I hope you're enjoying those. But this one was a lot of fun. This whole run of five weeks brought us all together so i seriously thank you all for being there along for the ride with us enjoy the episode here we go Welcome to this episode of Real Sports, presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Card podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell, and joining me as always is my lovely fiance, Miss Emily Anderson. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired and sore, but I'm here for it. Yes, you are. You did the last dance Peloton ride. No free ads, but... Peloton is our new favorite thing. <laughs> it is, and it was a great ride. So if anyone hasn't taken it, I highly recommend. Yes, and we are here for the last time to talk about the final parts of The Last Dance. Episodes 9 and 10, the end of 97 and the end of 98, and they definitely stuck the landing, Emily. I agree, but I don't think like I don't think that ten was the strongest episode. I thought nine was really good. Yeah, nine's definitely better than ten. Um, I thought last week's were probably better, but like the subject matter is kind of more interesting. So yeah, this is this was a good one because it's we talked about this at length over the last couple weeks of how would they finish it, what you know, how far after the championship did we get, and obviously that got answered. How much extra content would there be in because they led up to. Reggie Miller in the 98 playoffs, and then they lead up through 96 last week, uh, and we get everything with 1997 here. We get, obviously, the Pacers in Episode 9, and then the the series in, in the Jazz in, yeah. in 98. Um, but let's jump into it, 1990, or Episode 9, not 1999. Um, we start right off where, where Episode 8 left us off. Picking up with Reggie Miller versus Michael Jordan, we get a nice little quick history of Reggie Miller playing against the Bulls and some of the history of uh, him versus MJ. Yeah, and about a game early in their careers, 
um, where Reggie had, like, a great first half, and he decides to, like, trash talk to Michael a little bit, being like, oh, you're, like, the big Michael Jordan. And then, of course, in the second half, like, Reggie has two points, and Jordan has, like, a gazillion, and Reggie says, like, after that, (laughs) Michael said to him, don't ever talk trash to Black Jesus, so Reggie said he only refers to him as Jordan, Black Jesus, or that black cat. Yeah, instead of Michael Jordan. Yeah, he never calls him Michael Jordan. It's very weird. A little. It was pretty weird that you were referring to, like, oh, cover that guy. Cover, cover Michael Jordan. No. That... Cover 33, cover Michael Jordan. Yeah. The black cat? Oh, okay. Yeah. And he refers to him as it in a press conference later. Yeah, he does. Later, later on, um, which is kind of crazy to see. So we go immediately into the 98 Eastern Conference Finals against the Pacers, heavily teased at the end of Episode 8, and... The Bulls start off with this 2-0 lead in Chicago. It seems like it's going to be business as usual. And then it goes to Indiana. Mm-hmm. And the place is rocking. Yeah. And there's a fan that's really gained some traction that they show. Yes. Um, She's a middle-aged white woman. Yes. Just yelling, I think. I forget what she said. She I forget exactly what she said. Yeah. But um, yeah. wearing like the most classic 90s style... Of that has the bangs, almost the Mrs. Brady mullet. Yes. Has the the sleeveless polo. Um, yeah, and it, it's just incredible. She has a couple couple uh, buttons on with the Pacers logo, screaming obscenities. And it's great. The athletic ended up like finding her and doing a little like follow up with her, and she says like, um, her. <laughs> They're like, you can see exactly what you're saying. And she goes, I know, that was pretty colorful, but I'm, I'm known to drop the F-bomb. And I was just like, mm, lady after my own heart. Yeah, I'm I did here tweet. for it. We started watching episodes 9 and 10 late, and I did tweet that it had to be said that that is Emily in 90s Indiana form. <laughs> yeah. Uh, knowing through as many basketball games I've been with you, and, and other sporting events, but basketball is where... Uh, your truest self comes out at a uh, sporting event. Yeah, maybe not my best self, but my truest self. Yeah, well, you know, that's okay. The Pacers end up winning game three, though. Mm-hmm. And it gets it gets glossed over fairly quickly, but game four ends up being the real highlight of this two-game part in Indiana. Right. So we you know quickly go up. It's four 4.7 seconds left. Bulls are up one. Scotty Pippen's on the line. They've said he's missed a bunch. I think they said he only made two free throws. Yeah. On the night so far, he was like two for nine. Ends up missing both. And the Pacers get the ball with under three seconds to go. And on the inbound, we see Reggie Miller, and as how he quotes, lightly shove Michael Jordan to create a little space. And there was some there was some extension there. It's definitely a foul in today's NBA. Right. And I what do you think? Would that be a foul in the nineties from what we've seen? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. But Reggie Miller ends up hitting the shot after creating a little space, and he's going nuts, the whole place is going nuts, and they quickly pan to Larry Bird. And Larry Bird is not going he's nuts. He's stoically <laughs> staring it down. He knows exactly what's wrong. Point seven seconds left. Enough time for Michael Jordan to get the ball. Mm-hmm. MJ gets it. He gets up in the air. Gets Double it off. clutches, which is insane. I don't know if they reset the clock. Did you notice that on a rewatch? No, I think it was .7. Well, what is it? It has to be .3 for for possession to be established on an inbound for them to tip it in. Yeah. So a double clutch, I mean, it's either whoop, 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 yeah. and going up in my best Kramer impression there. Um, but he throws it up, and everybody is like, fuck. 
things going in. Yeah. And it it rims in and out. It bounces. You got a little uh, a little triggered by it. Yeah, any close shot. Like, it doesn't even matter who I'm rooting for. I just get, like, flashbacks, and it hurts, and my stomach cramps, and it's just not good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the basketball gods took that shot and transported it to 2019. It was worse. Uh, I'm trying to paint a full picture here of you bringing up the quiet shot. But anyway, we end up then going back just a little bit. 1997. Yeah, we're like almost in like one timeline here. Yeah, we're almost caught up to the end, but we have to finish off 1997, the fifth title. And once again, Michael Jordan has found a way to motivate himself. Yes. He has found multiple ways to motivate himself, actually. True. That's very true. So first, he's pissed that Karl Malone won MVP. So they're going against the Jazz in the finals. That's one chip on his shoulder. Another chip on his shoulder is, you know, he's out to dinner in Utah. And, you know, the guys are all friends. He sees John and Carl. He's like, oh, I'm going to go over and say hi to my, like, these guys. What they probably yeah, they played on the dream team together. Yeah, he yeah. knows these guys. Yeah. And Brian Russell is there, and he just gets on to MJ. And it's like, hey, why'd you quit? Why'd you quit? Did you know I was coming into the league? And you knew that, that you couldn't get past me, that I could guard you? Is that why? And he's just like. And, like, Stockton and Malone are trying to be like, he's just a rookie, like, ignore yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, he's just got a mouth. He's just running it. But Jordan's like, oh, okay. So that was another chip on his shoulder, and he ends up hitting a buzzer beater over Russell to win game one, just like a one little nail in the coffin. Oh, yeah. So, so the series ends up being tied 2-2 going into game five in Utah, and then something happens. Yeah, so we get, we finally get the story. We talked about it when when with the flu game, you know how or not when, but how in depth would the flu game get addressed mm-hmm. into? Um, and we have the story that that Tim Grover went into detail when he went on part of my take. Same exact thing that they it's late Salt Lake City. It's not like what it is today. Of you know if you go out there for you know, movie festivals or go to skiing at Park City. Um, that yeah, everything shuts down pretty early. The only place they get is is one place, which there was no free ad there because we later learn it's off, a pizza. Hut. Yeah, we learn off off air that it was a pizza hut. Um, and everybody claims that five guys came there. That what we're referring to is a a uh, refute a refuted uh, claim from the guy who delivered the pizza. But apparently, five guys enter. They all want to stick their head in. They knew it was Michael Jordan. Michael ate the whole pizza on his own, and all of America knew that quarantine was not as hard. If Michael Jordan can eat a pizza, so can you. <laughs> so whenever you're down on yourself, just remember that. But something goes bad. He's throwing up at 3 a.m., and the next night is the flu game. It's actually food poisoning. Sounds better with the flu. He was sick all day. He was in bed. He talks to his mom about whether or not he should play. He's getting IVs. He's getting IVs. I mean, he's, like, really screwed up by this pizza. Um, and he said, and he said it on here, Tim Grover said it on the part of my take interview, basically like you put me in and you can't take me out. Cause if I get, if I slow down at all, then I'm going to be done for. And he ends up playing 44 minutes is 38 points. One of the greatest performances in general, but given the circumstances, especially how much NBC knew about what was going on with MJ, mm-hmm. which makes 
the jazz coach, as Emily referred to him in the show notes, Jerry Sloan's comments of not knowing that Michael Jordan had anything. He was like, am I the only one that didn't know he was sick? And they're like, like yeah, literally. I guess it's 1997, so like... There's no Twitter. Yeah, there's no Twitter. There's no, like, there aren't, like, some beat writer knowing that and, pro- and asking him in pregame or anything like that, probably... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, it would be... It's excusable to think that Jerry Sloan didn't throw on ESPN during the day and it's like focusing on Game 5 of the Finals when the series But no is one did on but his staff? No one noticed. Him? Yeah. I, and that's kind of weird to me. Um, and yeah, you put this in the notes. The, maybe the, he's just joking. Maybe he's just maybe, being yeah, a funny yeah, guy. Maybe he's trying to be funny. That, and that's <laughs> Emily's excuse for not knowing Jerry Sloan's name when she wrote down... The jazz coach My in our show note notes. was that he seems like a funny guy. But the image that you did put down of Scottie Pippen carrying Michael Jordan off the court and not Rudy over everybody's shoulders, it's it, MJ's slouched over Scottie Pippen yeah. and helping him off. Uh, it just encapsulates a greatness moment, and it's you know it, worth bringing up the cultural significance of it because it's brought up on Parks and Rec. It's brought up... On a number of other places, but Parks and Rec were in an episode called Flu Season, you know, fittingly, mm-hmm. where Leslie has the flu and they're trying to secure small businesses for the Harvest Festival. Leslie Nope, who's Amy Poehler's character, ends up coming out and doing whatever the municipal version <laughs> of this is. And Adam Scott's character, Ben, goes, This is the flu game. And actually, no, this is Leslie Nope. It, ju- it just shows, like, how much this is meant to the world and that episode came out 12 years later yeah in, and this is 1997 I mean actually longer than that probably close to 15 years um cause Parks and Rec came out in like 2010 but regardless we're, we're just arguing semantics here it's um you know obviously one of the great, greatest moments there in, you know ever in especially Michael Jordan's career but in basketball history so we did reference that there are some uh, other stories out there that have come out there's actually a lot of after the last dance commentary that's come out on a number of different subjects but the flu game because it was it happened and was aired on Sunday that was one of the first ones to be addressed we referenced the pizza hut guy yes and Emily you want to break this down for us so the pizza hut guy said he guess he was like a manager of the pizza hut and they got the call and he was like he was a bulls fan and they knew that the Bulls were staying at the Marriott, so they get a call from the Marriott, and he was like, in case this pizza is for Michael Jordan, no one else is touching it. Or yeah. something. And it... None of the stories make sense, to be honest. Like, Yeah, he goes into pretty good detail. Yeah. I mean, part of it makes sense. Like, he says, like, him and one other guy, like, took it to the, to the Marriott. Yeah, the, the delivery guy. Yeah. He personally went with the delivery guy. And they gave him the room number, and the whole floor smelled like smoke, and, like, all of those things, like, track with the amount of cigars these guys smoked and things like that. But, like, of the whole Marriott, like, someone calls you at 1030, are basketball players the only people who eat pizza at night? Like, why would you just assume that it's a Bulls player? And then, like, when Tim and his friend and Michael's best friend George are telling the story that there were five guys that came to the door. And then it's like, I saw someone tweet, I think it was Matt Ellenduck, who, like, worked or works for SB Nation. And he tweeted, like, what did they do? Did they call the pizza place and say, hello, I would like to order one large pizza for NBA superstar Michael Jordan, please? (laughs) Which is just, like, I couldn't stop laughing because it's just, like, such an absurd idea. Like, 
that you would just assume that this pizza is for Michael Jordan on either end of it. Like, whether you poisoned it, and honestly, it probably was just, like, some bad something in the pizza and no one did anything intentionally is, like, or probably what happened. Yeah. But, like... the fact that he ate an entire pizza. pizza From Pizza Hut. But, like, 11 o'clock at night. And probably, like, was smoking some cigars, probably had a couple beers... We've seen him, ha- you know, just chilling out with a Miller Lite all over the place. Like, th- that doesn't always mix. And yeah. that's probably what happened. Like, there's the rumors of the hangover game. So this guy is is refuting that tale. Yeah, that, that he Michael was Jordan there. allegedly went to Vegas the night before Game 5, and that's why he was having flu-like systems and, uh, symptoms and had the IVs to get over a hangover. But he, he's confirming that Michael Jordan was there, which I believe that... that I believe that he had a pizza, whether it was two or five guys, because he does refute of T- Tim Grover and, and the other friend. George. George. Thank you. Um, you should know that. Yeah, I should know that. Um, that they that there weren't five guys. He goes, oh, yeah, whatever sells more books is what he mm-hmm. what he says about of, of that. But even if it was just the two of them and not five guys, and Tim Grover's making that up to make it sound like a crazier story, which... Anybody that's an adult telling these crazy stories from back in the day is going to spin something out there. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, not to bring it back up, but I'm sure that someone who was there at the Kawhi shot is going to say, like, it. the ball slowed down in midair and it <laughs> took 15 seconds for it to take a third bounce. The ball bounced like, seven times. What, that might be what somebody's telling their kids right now, being like, yeah, last year. I mean, do you remember that? It took 30 seconds. Like, that's what happens with stories. So, th- like, I get it. This guy is like, there's nothing else on. Not a lot of people maybe didn't watch NASCAR or didn't watch the Rory DJ match or that only filled, you know, one segment of, of the you know, drive time show. Mm-hmm. And you need to fill out some other times of actual interviews. But it's a little overblown, I think. It's just funny. Yeah. But, are, but do you find any other stories from there or, or is our pizza hut friend the main guy no just our pizza hut friend and then i just think the idea to get a call at 10 30 at night and just assume that it is michael jordan or like a bulls player is just so weird to could me. you imagine if it like it was delivered to us and the guy is like just throws it in there and be like oh fuck you guys yeah like, like that's just so weird to me like especially considering like it is a finals game, like, I'm sure there were plenty of, like, Bulls fans from out of town that came in and were, like, staying at the Marriott. Like, why would you just assume that it was, like, a Bulls player? I just think that's the silliest thing in the world. I don't know. I don't know. Marlins man wasn't really around back then, so. Yeah. Maybe they gave, like, a Maybe really. Maybe the super fans weren't really around then. Maybe they gave, like, a really bad fake name. And that, like. Maybe. Oh, that's a good call. Like, check, like red flagged them like maybe it's just a really like obvious fake name yeah that that's a pretty good call that's the only thing i can think of um otherwise it's just so weird it is very weird to just assume that because even like like adding up of like 1997 salt lake city isn't that huge it's still big enough to have a successful nba franchise yeah like so the you, you're not thinking that the marriott where the chicago bulls are staying is some like Tiny Marriott, and like think so it's... much, like there's got to be a lot of media there, like lots yeah, exactly. of people. But anyway, moving on. So we get to see the final backstory mm-hmm. in Steve Kerr, and we theorized this way back four weeks ago at the start of this adventure of you know what episodes were going to be dedicated to who or to whom, 
and we finally got Steve Kurtz. We figured that there was going to be at least part of an episode we were right, but it was and episode I nine. I think this fits in really well with, like, the game's yeah, th- six th- story this is, arc. Yeah, this is why they held on to it, yeah. is because of how game six ends up going. But we learn about Steve Kurtz. I didn't know any of this. Career coming to the Bulls and how he how he started in you know start uh, how he went to college at at Arizona how he started with other teams eventually comes to the Bulls and learns from John Paxson and I know we've gotten a lot of John Paxson old school clips and mm-hmm. him with his previous job at the Bulls bald but seeing them like quick cuts between yeah. them really showed the contrast. And that, that sounds obvious, a bald guy versus full head of hair. But wow, it was very, very much on display there. Uh, I just had to say that. <laughs> but um, yeah, John Paxson, for whatever reason, just told Steve Kerr of what Michael Jordan liked. He made yeah. it sound like he did it all in that 93-94 season. Um, but maybe he gives him a call when Michael Jordan you know comes back and all that the next year. But he learns that style and, and really his game goes from being just kind of this maybe ninth, 10th guy on the bench role player to, you know, more of a main guy and, and kind of knowing what to do in the right situation. Uh-huh. And then we really learn about his family, which it very quickly goes from an interview of like, did you guys talk about your fathers to, all right, we're going from 93 to back to the seventies. And you learn a lot about, the Kerr family, which you just said it. You had no idea. I had no idea. And it was crazy. Yeah. Do you want to give the backstory? Yeah. So, um, Steve Kerr's father, Malcolm, was like a Middle Eastern scholar, I guess. And he was teaching at UCLA. Um, but then he got tasked to be the president at the American University of Beirut. Mm-hmm. So, his father had gone over there before and... When Steve graduated from high school, went to Arizona, then his brother and his mom went and joined him. And, like, his him and his father, like, really bonded over basketball, like, and his brother, like, they would play in the, in the driveway, like, very quintessential All-American kind of thing. Like, he would take him to games at UCLA, that kind of stuff. And um, the previous president, who Malcolm Kerr was supposed to be the vice president under, ended up getting kidnapped. So then he just, like, de facto became the president but then in 1984 his dad was shot in the head by two gunmen posing as students as he like exited an elevator in a school building yeah and steve carr received the news because some a family friend called him at 3 a.m in his dorm room and he knew that it was bad news because it's 3 a.m like why else would anyone be calling him so that i just thought i didn't know any of that and i don't i don't know i mean i'm sure it's like it's out there, but I don't know that it's, like, a super well-known story, and it kind of makes sense of why, like, one of the reasons why, like, Steve Kerr is, like, very, like, socially active and, like, gun control things, because, like, look what happened to his dad. Yeah, exactly. They did not point out that it was his freshman year this happened. Well, 1984, so, like... Yeah. Well, I I, I guess I just didn't put two and two together, Mm -hmm. but um, some other backstory on this, which, you know, obvious why they wouldn't go into this further, um that his family ended up suing, suing the Iranian government wow. under the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. So obviously a few years, a few years after that. Uh, but, but a really great moment and, and kind of a bad moment for Arizona State. But in 98, Arizona State students chanted PLO, standing for 
the Palestine Liberation Organization and your father's history at Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr made all six three-pointers that he attempted in the game, scored 20 points in the first half, and led Arizona over their arch-rival Arizona State. So that's pretty cool. And the Arizona State athletic director ended up calling him to a pop, or actually wrote him a letter, excuse me. Um, Bachelor's of General Studies for Steve Kerr. It's a made-up degree if I've ever heard one. With an emphasis on history, sociology, and English. Which makes sense. Steve Kerr has always been a very methodical guy in any sort of interview that you've you've seen out of it. You, know, you would have thought he had you know, maybe a psychology degree or, or something there. That's but, called enough credits for a bachelor's degree, but not a major. I guess so. <laughs> you would know better than I would. I mean, I think that's what happened. Yeah, I just knew I had. I knew I had to take my main electives and my professional electives because Lehigh Statistics program at the time was not fully developed. Uh, although I do have a bachelor's of science. So <laughs> anyway, we move on. Um, we fast forward up to 90, the '97 Finals, Game Six. Back to Steve Kerr. It ends up we get you know go all the way to the fourth quarter as we as one does when this we might like super this, sim through this yeah this like block of like this game six like all the storylines i this might be like my favorite chunk of the documentary i just think there's so many like funny moments in it okay yeah i was gonna say 96 might be the the heaviest hitting at least for at least on the mj front of it was dad father's day well yeah that. i mean um, heavy hitting but this i was like fun to watch yeah that's a good point um <clears throat> but we get Steve Kerr making the comment, the ultimate trust from Michael Jordan is if you perform well during the playoffs, and they talk about the the timeout that gets taken. Yeah. And the huddle. It's so funny. You think it's, I mean, it's great of how, like, Steve Kerr's, like, gassed and, and talking about Michael Jordan's, you know, well, you, you tell the story. Well, no, he just, like... Jordan knows that, like, cameras are always on him. So yeah. he's, like, trying to, like, be low-key. Like, when the players, like, lift their jerseys up and talk and, like, kind of be, like, like, be ready, Steve. Like, it could, like, be ready. But they make it seem like it was so much, like, so much more, like, baseball players holding it over their glove like this. Yeah. And, like, the camera's right in Jordan's face of yeah. him saying, be ready. And Steve, and Steve, very astute and remembers it very well, being, like, he thought he was being very, very calm, cool, collected. But he's and not. And out, all right, I'm ready. Yeah, he's like, and okay, I'll be ready. He says it in the interview, and they immediately show him yelling, which is is pretty funny. It's funny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we go to the end of this game. Five seconds left, and Michael Jordan was right. double teamed, absolutely right, dishes the ball to Steve Kerr, who nails the long two. Looked like his feet were right on the three-point line. Worst shot in the NBA. Hey, you hate it. You <laughs> hate it. Um, and the Bulls end up stealing the ball. They win the championship. And that's title number five. Yeah. And it immediately goes to the parade. And we get the uh, the PA announcer announcing them all come in, which you know I've only been to one of the two parades I've been alive for. I did not go to the Phillies parade oh, in 2009 uh, or in 2008. Um, for whatever reason, I was thinking the World Series parade would be after New Year's, but it's not. Um, no, I wasn't. I was at Berkshire, but mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah, it's freshman. And then we and then we we went to this the Eagles Super Bowl parade, but I don't think they had the Eagles PA announcer announcing who was up next. I think it might have been Merrill Reese saying it. 
Yeah, I probably. Um, but so, but so he he has the voice like this, and not and now. Yeah. Now I could imagine what is the Sixers PA announcer's name? Manning Court McGuard. Yeah, I could imagine him him doing something like that if the Sixers ever won a title, when? considering how he does when Al, you know when Al, Al, uh, when Allen Iverson's yeah. in the building, but. We get Steve Kerr's speech. I'm burying the lead here. That's the only one we get in this in this parade. <laughs> it's also very funny. It is a very funny speech. Do you want to say it or do you want sure. me to say it? Okay. So first of all, Steve Kerr is wearing like the most '90s dad outfit ever. He's got like the five championship T-shirt or the championship T-shirt on. He's got like these like very wide khaki shorts and a belt. And he tells the story. He's like, "Yeah, so we're huddled up, and Phil calls the play, and he's like, Michael, it's coming to you.' And Michael's like." You know, Phil, I don't really feel comfortable in these types of moments. You Maybe we should give the ball to Steve. And Steve was like, all right, I guess I have to bail Michael out again. It's my story and I'm sticking yeah, to it. Yeah, he's like, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And you can see, like, Phil and Michael in the background, like, cracking up. Yeah. It was, I just thought it was so delightful. That, 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 like, whole span between, like, the, all right, Michael, I'll be ready yeah. to, like, the the speech I just thought it was so funny. It's a pretty great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so to finish off episode nine, we go back to ninety eight. Go ends up going to game seven. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jordan pulls the ever popular guarantee of a win. Guarantees that they are going to go to the finals. They're going to win the Eastern Conference. And we got a little background on Gus, his head of security. And how Gus, we, we kind of talked about this and learned about this in, in previous episodes about how Michael knew and got to know really well these security guards. Mm-hmm. And this is the this is the big one that we learned about. This was probably one of his closest friends, became a father figure to him when his dad died. Um, was close to him right away. And Gus, in a very Michael Jordan-like way, he got diagnosed with cancer and missed, you know, missed a few games, but then... He comes back to work while sick and is just hanging out with Michael. And I think mm-hmm. it meant a ton to him. He wanted to win. He wanted to do this for Gus. And, you know, we, we learned a little bit more about him at the end. And unfortunately, he passed away. But And you found out that, that Michael Jordan paid for all of his medical bills, yeah. which is incredible. Uh, but before we, we continue, uh, we do have a fan question. Oh, good. We have a few of them. This one comes from my buddy Brady. Who is a buddy of mine from fan, our fantasy baseball league? But he wants to know: Is it weird that Michael Jordan's best friends all appear to be his security guys? <laughs> I thought there was going to be more to the question. Well, then he wrote like the guys he pays. Oh. Um. I don't think so, because I think he's with them a lot. Mm-hmm. And just because he pays them, it's not like he's just like, if you are a friend and you pay your friend, but they're not working for you, like, that's weirder than if they do work for you and you would pay them. Sure. So I just think, like, I mean, I think all these security people seem to be good guys, so they weren't out for anything more than this was their job and they were going to keep him safe. No, it's not like Turtle from Entourage. Yeah. Who Turtle was his driver 
and then just smoked a lot of weed and played video games and thought he was good at getting girls. Right. Like, I think these guys... Like, like Gus, would, like Gus would have taken a bullet for Michael Jordan. Yeah, Gus yeah. was an ex-Chicago police officer. Yeah. Like, he wasn't just some boy that... Or some man that Jordan, like, knew and just gave a job as head of security. Like, he yeah. was a legit security professional. And so I think he felt very safe with them. Gus, like, they say, like, he took his job so seriously. Like, he was like, if Michael didn't want someone passed, like, they did not get past Gus. Mm-hmm. Like, it did not happen. So to have that sense of security in, like, a completely scrutinized life like Michael Jordan has, I think that that has to be, like, the only place maybe that he can really let his guard down because he knew, like, if he said, like, this is, like, a private thing, no one's back here, whatever, like, those are the guys that made that happen for him. What? It's from How I Met Your Mother. Um, No, I agree with you, though. I think, and we saw it at the beginning of, uh, I forget which episode it was, but we saw Michael Jordan's routine when he was on the road. And I basically just hung out in his apartment building, or his his, uh, hotel rooms. And I think you see it, sorry, um, a lot with, like, professional athletes, at least, like, some of the ones, like, I, that I follow. Like, Ben Simmons, his best friends are his family, his brothers, his half-brothers, and Alex, who's the team photographer with 76ers. Mm. Alex is with him, like, all the time. He films all of his like Ben Simmons YouTube stuff like takes like is with him on the road like shot his summer thing for the Sixers like he's just always with him so like if you're around you have similar interests basketball whatever like yeah. why wouldn't you be friends just because he's the team photographer no 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 for sure and yeah I think there's also something too of like how intense we've seen Michael Jordan can be with his teammates so I'm sure he wanted some time off with them I'm sure they definitely wanted some time off from him to, like, not mix in off-the-court fun where Michael Jordan's this hyper-competitive guy on the plane. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, given a lot of guys different shit, most notably Scott Burrell. <laughs> but, and it's that, Scott Burrell, another, uh, it, it's bookended of Scott Burrell in episode one, Scott Burrell in episode so ten. Much. Um, <laughs> it just keeps happening. But we saw a lot of that, of, of him, of just all of that sort of stuff. And I think he was almost like a method actor in that mm-hmm. way of, of, I don't want to use the bad examples like Jared Leto and Suicide Squad, but like the guy, like a Daniel Day Lewis who was always Abraham Lincoln on the set of Lincoln. Like I think it was that kind of thing that this was his time to like to cut loose and be his his true self, like you said, with the security guard. So yeah. I think that's the answer to it. I don't think it's totally weird, but it. Um, but like Michael Jordan lives a weird life, so like we can't really relate to it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we found that a lot of athletes. Whether it's weird of just that you're too famous, and I think that that got to a point. We learned that with Dennis Rodman of there is too famous, and mm-hmm. Michael Jordan certainly was that level. Um, but anyway, so we go back. We get more. Speaking of Scott Burrell, we get more Scott Burrell. Yeah, I think this is where on. he tells yeah. him like to not play like dog shit or something. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, you want to go to game we'll seven? Win. Don't play like dog shit. Yeah, or you want to go to the finals? Um, and the Pacers keep themselves in this thing. Mm-hmm. They end up, I don't want to say blowing it, but Scottie Pippen takes over. He gets the ball, gives to Steve Kerr. and It's after this, like, and multiple players say it, like, there was this jump ball. Yeah. And it, like, completely, like, changed the momentum of the game because Smith actually tips the ball, but he tips it to Pippen. Mm-hmm. And then that's when, like, Pippen gets to Kerr, who hits this shot that changes the momentum, and, like, 
It's crazy when, like, multiple people pinpoint an exact second as, like, the shift in the game. Sure. It's interesting in basketball, too, because there's, like, certainly football, there's plays, baseball, it's batter to batter. Um, hockey would be similar to basketball of a certain pass or a certain save. Yeah. But basketball, like, to that point of, like, there's a save or a certain goal. Like, basketball, they score how many field goals throughout a game, and there's so many different passes, there's all this different stuff. Not that players don't pass in hockey, but... You know what I mean? Of like, there are these these moments that it's a little tougher to pinpoint because just the law of large numbers, yeah, just gives you a larger haystack to find that needle in, I guess, to mix a lot of different things in that in in there. But yeah, and that they say that it's the is the jump ball, not like the Steve Kerr shot. It's yeah. the jump ball, like. Yeah, that is a really good. That's a really good point too, because it's not like I'm trying to even think of a diff, of a. Of a the analogy in one of the other the three major sports or even like soccer or you know like it was like it that be? face off like to you i guess like well mm, yeah that, that would be tough maybe in lacrosse a face off mm. or like what i could maybe think of and this was at the beginning of a game so it would be a lot different but like in 2012, Claude Giroux laid out Sidney Crosby pretty close to off of the opening faceoff, and that set the tone. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really like a, a, like a, I can't think of a big hit that would like Scott Stevens hit against Eric Lindros back in the 90s comes to mind. But like that didn't really it, like it just knocked Eric Lindros out of the game. Um, maybe like a shot in a golf match of guy ends up you know recovering like Bubba Watson at the 2012 Masters that's not match play it's a playoff but still like he he you think he's completely out and he makes this incredible shot from outside of the wood from in the woods and recovers and maybe that put this you know struck fear into I think he beat Louis Oosthuizen but don't quote me on that um but that struck fear into him to like for Bubba to end up winning and he Bubba can make it business as usual but then that you know that struck you know it yeah. changed momentum that way um Maybe a big strikeout in baseball. I don't know. Uh, but we're getting off topic here. Bulls end up winning. Gus gets the game ball. Reggie Miller. And, like, the, the most classic, like, guy who lost a lost in a not the finals playoff round mm-hmm. of, like, we were the better team, but they had done it before, this kind of thing. Not to continuously go back to that well. But what a lot of people were saying here in Philly last year of, you know, we were the better team. They just had Kawhi won before, blah, 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 blah. Like, that sort of thing. And that is that that is a take that existed out there Yeah. Um, last year with the with the quadruple doink. But Reggie Miller just really going, like, still going after the Bulls. And you can tell he's still bitter. Bitterness, I think, ultimately won the documentary because <laughs> everybody is holding on to everything, which yeah. is incredible. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about Reggie Miller. No, I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought maybe there was one last thing, but I I just want to get to the oh. line of the documentary. <laughs> he get Michael Jordan going up to say saying bye to to his good friend Larry Bird. You bitch. Fuck you. <laughs> it tells Larry Bird to go work on his golf game <laughs> as he ends up leaving, walking out of the tunnel. Larry Bird just takes a seat and basically, oh man, this guy. I don't want to see you. Like, <laughs> It's just incredible. We had to rewind it. We did. We watched it multiple <laughs> we times. We watched it multiple times. It's great that we... It's one of the better parts of us not actually watching it live in the moment. It's yeah. that we like, didn't feel bad just not not watching it there. Um, but the ultimate send-off. And 
I mean, that, but that's what we come to expect, I think, after, at that point, nine complete hours of watching this guy, of what he did, how he treated his friends. I think that's the one thing, too, with Scott Burrell, because we get a lot, we get more of it in episode 10. Um, but also, Horace Grant has come out and been like, he was way too mean to, mm-hmm. to Scott Burrell. Um, like, I think he, I, he's one of those guys that, that will say, like, if I'm not messing with you, it means I don't like you. Yeah. Like, I think that was Michael Jordan's, like, thing that's part of it, too, is, like, he wanted to keep these guys on edge to, like, do, you know, go to the intensity level that he was at. But, like, he also, I think, genuinely loved these guys. He want, he didn't just want to, like, collect rings himself. He wanted these guys to be a part of it. Yeah, he said that. And that's why, yeah, he said, yeah, exactly. And I think that's why he took them under their, like, the wing of being, like, as soon as they got there, Scott Burrell being one of those guys, that was his first year with the team, mm-hmm. and being like, all right, you're going to learn. You're going to have this baptism by fire. And whether that means that you're playing, you know, 40 minutes a game or you're playing five minutes a game, I'm going to make sure that you're ready for whatever, and you're going to, I'm going to treat you just like how I treat Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen is, you know, my best friend on this team, or so we be, so we believe, and that was another Horace Grant uh, problem that he had. Was he's had a lot of problems. He's had a lot of problems. We'll address Horace Grant probably at the end. It's probably the best time. Horace Grant wasn't really featured in this one. No. Um, for those that don't know, we might as well just talk yeah. about it now. Horace Grant came out and talked about how he thought a lot of the documentary is bullshit. Basically went on a much more petty rant than his appearance on Pardon My Take of basically saying that a lot of this was lies. He did address that about the the Jordan Rules, Sam Smith book of saying, like, I'm not the guy. He said that in the PMT interview. He said it in the documentary. He said it in the documentary. It's a lot It's a lot of the same stuff. Again, this is a lot of trying to fill blocks on drive time radio. Um, yeah, and, and he talked about how Scott, he thought Scott Burrell got a, got a raw deal. He tried to accuse it of, if you said stuff that Michael Jordan didn't like, they just cut you out of it, which... There was, I mean, possibly he did have final cut. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like a couple things that he was like, no, we're not airing that. That's, it doesn't fit the, you know, I'm sure the director thought maybe some of it didn't fit a narrative or, or where it is, but they weren't afraid to go to, to deeper and more critical spots of MJ. The only one that it's been pointed out, especially after episode 10, was his family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thankfully, Horace Grant doesn't go on anything like that. That wouldn't, Think crossing a line of saying something about like we'll talk about this with your wife, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I think it's just it's there's no sports on, and they're trying to fill you know fill things instead of like Horace Grant maybe could have come on and talked about like oh I, you know I'm not the guy in the Sam Smith book. Oh, what do you think about the Lakers versus whoever in the uh, coming out of the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals? The Lakers against the Bucks. Like, oh, you know, I think Giannis is like this guy I played with back in the day, and LeBron, I don't think, is, is as good as MJ, because I'm sure at the end of the day, he still like, he still respects the shit out of Michael Jordan, and if he didn't, he wouldn't have done the documentary. Yeah. I think that's that's my thought on it. But let's go to episode 10. We get some uh, MJ on just the- on the bus, but just pumping that he is the, too famous. Yeah. He's got unreleased stuff, the new Kenny Lattimore. Not even out yet. Not even out yet. He's ready to do it. Um, who said this quote? Michael is a mystic. He was he was never anywhere else but here. His gift was that he was completely present, and and that was the separator. Um, I don't remember who said it. Okay. I should have written it down, but I didn't. That's okay. But I thought it was really interesting. No, it is really interesting, because 
he what like and there's become like I don't know if it's a TikTok if it's an Instagram of Jordan bumping I think is what it is of just all these scenes of Jordan with with the headphones mm-hmm. on and just being that guy on the team and like I think anybody that's played any sort of organized sports in middle school high school college can like remember that one guy on the bus who or girl on the bus who like was that kind of omnipresent person that like you might have thought of been listening to like whatever music you know what depending on when you grew up and really it was just like the life of the party quote-unquote party like the life of the bus of just the social conversation and everything and that's what it seemed like with michael and it was like a it was a kind of a contrast to the intensity because he's kind of having fun yeah but i don't know that that is like what they're necessarily referring to i think it's more like in play like how okay. many times do you play a sport and you are like worrying about what not even worrying but like anticipating what's going to happen next like what will oh. i do if this happens what or being like oh like i missed that shot or oh i made a bad pass like he never like dwelled in mistakes in the moment or like looked forward to the future but really was just like playing in that moment and sure. taking it as it came and without all of those other distractions in your head i think that gives you like an extra power and like an ec- a lot more like mental capacity yeah that's a good point deal with what's coming at you my only thing that I would say about that is, again, how many field goals are made and how many are shot in basketball. Like, if you're not going to get it, if you aren't getting over a, a missed free throw in the second quarter, then you probably should see a sports psychiatrist. Um, which you know, it's great that Michael Jordan is so great is so great at that. But you could also say that about LeBron, about Kobe, about yeah. a number of different guys that are so good about Steph Curry. You know, all these different people who. Russell Westbrook, probably. How many shots does he miss? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sorry, I just had to say that. Uh, but anyway, but we get to the 98 finals. It starts in, in Salt Lake City. And the Jazz fans, notoriously hostile and loud, um, to talk about Russell Westbrook. There was the incident last year with mm-hmm. the fan there, so... Still lives up to that this day. Yeah, and Jordan's kids make, like, a pretty... They're not in it too much, but they make an appearance here saying, like... Because someone says, like, oh, were you there? This is their only appearance. I thought they were in them earlier. Well, like, yeah, maybe as grown-ups. So. Yeah, this is their only... These are their only interviews. Yeah. Um, you know, they say, were you there in 98? And they're like, no, we we're in our basement. Our mom said we couldn't go to Utah. Yeah. Like, it's too much there. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey, Marcus, and... I'm blanking on their daughter's name. Yeah, I don't Okay, uh, but so game one, the Jazz end up winning an OT in a score that would look like a third quarter score of a current NBA game. Uh, Bulls end up winning game two. Go back to Jasmine. Chicago. Jasmine. Jasmine. Jasmine Jordan. Um, and then we go to game three. We're back in Chicago, mm-hmm. and the Bulls hold the Jazz to fifty-four points, the lowest score of any team. Since the advent of the shot clock, <laughs> and every single player on the Bulls scored. Yeah, there's like a... Which I thought it would have been more fitting if it wasn't Bill Winnington that was the last one to score, but yeah. it was, like I thought I would have thought it would have been more fitting if it was like, Scott, come on, man, you gotta get on the board. But it's Bill Winnington. And it's like at one. the very end of the game, and they're like, yeah. it's like one of those things, like when you're up by a lot, like when they were trying to get like TJ a triple-double, or like Markel that triple-double, like they were yeah. like kept passing it to him to like try and get yeah, him yeah, on yeah. the board, because at this point it was just such a blowout, so they had to like play another game. 
Yeah, so... The funny jazz coach. The funny jazz coach. <laughs> Jerry Sloan says, is this the actual score? Is this actually the score? Is this the final on the 50... in On the 54 points. And, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you uh, of it. I wish we could see... We could probably could go find the full game. Yeah. And just see... How a how much trash talk was there? B how great the defense was, and I don't know. It was uh, yeah, that's wild. it's just incredible. Yeah, it's wild. Um, well, we get a lot of focus. Like Michael on, Jordan has had that in games, fifty four points, just like himself. Hey, the double nickel. I know. Fifty five. The same. Um, we get a lot of focus though, in between games three and four. What are you ripping off? Duct tape. Oh. Why are you so focused on the duct tape? I don't know. I need to fidget. Okay. Well, anyway, we get a lot of focus. You should focus now because this is the fun time. <laughs> I didn't like this part. You didn't like this part? I thought it was unnecessary. To talk about Dennis Rodman being on WWE? Yeah. We didn't get it in Rodman, the Rodman doc. I know, but it just seemed like ancillary and it just seemed like a throwaway like thing and it didn't fit to me. Well, I think it's, it's crazy because Dennis Rodman does end up hitting free throws to clinch game four. Yeah, I guess it kind of like closes out his like, story and it arc. it closes but... out that a little bit because Dennis really is not shown that much here in in the post, really post-baseball times that we've seen. Den- we get a Dennis episode way early on in episode three, um, and we don't really get it after Jordan came back. We don't yeah. really, we don't really, we saw him a little bit. But we got all the stuff about him going to Vegas, and obviously that was all in 98. But we don't, like, it, it's barely talked about, about how he's this integral part of being on the Bulls team and how he ends up being the rebounder that replaces Horace Grant in this second three-peat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's good to kind of bring him back. It's good to bring back a lot of this stuff of who, you know, you bring up all these different characters throughout the 10 hours and to just give Pippin an episode and then never really close out how much money he wanted. And we can talk about the end of it, of how they how they portray the end of it and, and everything breaking up. But, like, Pippin wanting money, Phil with this and that, and, and all this different stuff. It would have been weird if they don't really... It would have been weird if Dennis was barely shown. So I think this is... I think this is good. It's a good supplement to Rodman, for better or worse, the Dennis Rodman documentary you have seen it and did not listen to our podcast, go check it out. Or you can just listen to our podcast for the background. Well, yeah, or for the background. Um, yeah, because we did throw those in as fun facts. But he's with Hulk Hogan, and I thought it was incredible that we got some great Hulk Hogan in NWO. Mm-hmm. Emily, were you aware of NWO? No. New World Order? No. Oh, Emily. Might need to give you a crash course on 90s wrestling. Yeah, no. It's great. I pass. But he... I, oh man, we see Dennis Rodman throw, you know, hitting people over the head with chairs. We get some great, great Dennis Rodman WWE content. And it was only up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that far from Chicago. But he ends up coming back, and the media asks Phil all about this. Such a great line. The media asks, you know, does it bother you that Dennis is taking focus away from the finals? And Phil's like, he's only taking your focus away from the finals, not ours. Very zen-like. I know. I need to be more like Phil, I think. Well, Bulls Phil. Yeah, not like acid on a beach, Phil. Yeah. Or like 
Puerto Rico murder basketball. <laughs> or like, I feel like Lakers Bill or Lakers Phil. Uh, I feel like you, know, you win five championships, but he had that kind of weird relationship with the team. Then he dated Jeannie Buss, and then the whole thing with the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like that's the Bulls. Phil is just right. Phil peak Phil is peak Phil. Um, but yeah, we mentioned it. Dennis Rodman hits some hits some clutch free throws. They end up winning game four. We talked about this a lot in the, uh, when we talked about the Rodman doc. He always brought it on the court, no matter what was going on outside. Yeah. And I think that was part of it, too, is that they didn't really, in the Rodman episode, comparatively to the documentary that we that we talked about and have, and have watched here, you know, they, they talk about how he's this kind of crazy guy, and he has, like, all these off-court antics, obviously really went into the Vegas stuff, and his, you know, his feud with Scottie Pippen before he came to the team, but they never really, like, emphasized how good he was on the court despite all of that. And yeah. they only talk about how in the first half of 98, he was really good and he didn't fuck around until he got to go to Vegas because Scottie Pippen wasn't there and he, he realized he fucked up and the whole thing of him smoking cigars with Michael Jordan. But I think, again, I think this is why it's important to bring it back up. Of He really fucked up that he went to Detroit and was on a WWE broadcast and skip practice, and skip practice in the middle of the finals. Yeah. And still was able to perform to that way. Could you imagine if that happened today? <laughs> yeah, if that happens today, if any of if any of the stuff, Michael Jordan going to Atlantic City in the middle of the series against the Knicks, or if someone did that in the middle of the series today against the Knicks, Sixers, Nets, whomever, um, or going to Milwaukee, going you know going up and playing. Well, that's a bad example because the Warriors played golf in the middle of the finals and did well. And we've seen Michael Jordan do that. Um, I was going to say somebody going up to like whistling straights in the middle of a series against the Bucks, but yeah, or going to a casino somewhere, whatever. It would be a completely different scenario today. And that's what makes it so crazy is that that could have easily been, Dennis could have easily fucked up and been terrible on the court and he wasn't. And I think that's what propels the legend of him and whether or not he was turning it on at times, you know, with being crazy and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of regardless because he was that good. Yeah. He was able to back it up, and I think that's that's what's important. So again, I think they they landed that plane with Rodman, and, and they gave him a good way to, to to settle out there because we knew what was up with Pippen. Mm-hmm. We knew we can understand why Pippen doesn't come back, but we and we don't really get the the fallout of Dennis in here. We do in in the doc, in his doc, but you do. I think it was it's important to remind. To be reminded, yeah, Dennis was kind of crazy and was doing his own thing. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of where it is. Uh, but they're up three one now. It's still game five is still in Chicago. MJ thinks they're going to close it out there. Yeah, he was like uber confident. He was like, "I'm going to put a ring ring on your finger tonight. Like after tonight's Scumbrel, you'll never have to see me again. Like, all, like so uber confident, but." They don't win. Yeah, they don't win. Uh, Michael Jordan takes the last shot, airballs it. Utah sends it back there. Um, very quickly talked about, too, that mm-hmm. game five. It was like, all right, you guys know what, what this finals is remembered for. We're going to get you right to game six. Yeah. Um, and we go there. And Scottie Pippen, who they, talk, they only start talking about him being hurt now. Um, I've read in a couple different places that he was he was kind of limping around with his back pains for a couple games. Not just all of a sudden in game six, he's like, 
oh shit, my back hurts when yeah. he comes down with that first that first dunk and it's all jammed up. Dunking was not a wise decision, however. No, it's not a wise decision. Um, and you asked the question, what would we say today with Scotty's playing so clearly hurt? Uh, you mean? Do you mean in the sense of like we see him do that and he's trying to win in the finals or in a regular season or, or... I mean like in this exact scenario if you like fast forward it to 2020 like would all of like the Twitter like media people be like how dare they play him while he's hurt like he's clearly hurt or would they be like it's the finals do what you gotta do I would think the latter I would think that of this is potentially the last game of the season you can get yourself healed afterward yeah uh, I'm trying to think of an example of that within the last five years, but but I just even like KD came back last year. Look how that turned out. Yeah, and it didn't turn out. Well. <laughs> he wanted to win. I like, know. There's no problem like, with that. I feel like people were like annoyed that he came back last year. I guess so. And then they were when when he got hurt, they were like, "See, this is why you don't come back." But I, I don't know. I. I I'm not in that. I have not been in that mindset for so long with basketball that. It's hard to even remember that, but I don't know. I disagree. I think I think him coming back and wanting to win is important, and he got his. He's now in Brooklyn and seems to be happy, even though he got coronavirus with his teammates. But you know, it is what it is. Um, but so, Scotty's been in and out of the locker room. Bulls are down four at halftime. Getting a lot of Bob Costas here, mm-hmm. who was taking over for Marv. Uh, you know why Marv wasn't on that season? No, there were. Assault oh, yes. against Mars. I've heard this. Yes, read about that. Um, but we get more Carl Malone. We get some Dennis Rodman. They go at little, each other yeah, a lot. We get a it's little, fun. We get a little duel. Um, again, it's nice to uh, nice to give both of these guys a nice little closeout. Yeah. Because we did get, and it would have been, uh, it's understandable why Carl Malone wasn't interviewed. I think he, I don't think he and Michael Jordan had the best relationship. Uh, and I don't think, it clearly he, he also went on part of my take and very clearly does not like to talk about the Bulls in those two finals. Mm-hmm. So even the fact that we even got John Stockton to talk a little bit about it, I think is kind of cra- is is great. Carl Malone seems like a nice person. Oh, he's really very nice guy, and it's a it's a really good interview to go check it out. Um, but so the Bulls are down three with forty one seconds left. And Michael- Bob Costa says this is like the most impressive. 41 seconds of basketball you'll ever see. Yeah, Bob, Bob Costas uh, really loved to pump this up. Yeah, he's really making his making his pay in this last section oh, of, yeah. the, <laughs> of the dock. Jordan li- hits a layup. They're only down one. Carl Malone dribbling up, and this is probably why we don't get a lot of why we didn't get Carl Malone on here. Yeah, he's like battling with Dennis on the strong side, and he doesn't realize that Michael's on the weak side, and Michael just like comes in and like. Steals the ball. Strong side. Left side. <laughs> Phil does not call a timeout and immediately says, we don't want them to get set up. And yeah. no, because they know, you know, they know what's coming. They know that Michael Jordan's going to take it and they don't want to get set up against that. And it makes sense. Yeah. Scotty Pippen gets asked, what's going through your head on your way going back up the floor? Get the hell out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Rodman... He's going to shoot this fucker. <laughs> he's like, he's not going to pass this fucker. He's going to take the slash shot. Yeah. And Jordan comes in and he dribbles. He crosses back up Russell. 
It's a bad one. It's a bad crossover. It's a bad crossover. There's a little controversy with the hand guiding him, and everyone goes, it's not a push. And it's very clearly not. If anybody wants to say that... Yeah. Like, that's not even a foul today. No. Like, we talked about... We, we talked about the Reggie Miller push that would be a foul today. If that's called in today's NBA, that's, like, the biggest load of bullshit rigging. Brett like, Brown gets thrown out for that one. Brett Brown gets thrown out of that. People are, like, storming NBA headquarters wanting Adam's, Adam Silver's head on a smith. Yeah. Bob Costa says, it's the equivalent of a maitre d' putting his hand oh, yeah. on your back to guide you to a table. I don't know if Bob Costas had been, like, watching a lot of Jim Nance and really <laughs> wanted to, like, really get into that mood. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he hasn't been on the air in a couple years, but, man. Uh, yeah, there, there were some uh, some interesting Bob Costas analogies. Not that I should be speaking about great analogies. Mine, I mix and match at, mm-hmm. at will. But Jordan makes it. Yeah, so he shoots a jumper with 5.2 left, so they take the lead. And then the Jazz bring it back up the floor, and Stockton goes to take the last shot. But Ron Harper gets a little piece of it. Stockton misses it. Bulls win. Repeat, repeat. But the still (laughs) of Michael Jordan taking that shot. Yeah. And they mention it of, like, oh, the air was taken out of the room. They show the one little kid with his hands up. But that's like, I remember watching this game pretty, pretty well in 1998. My sister had just been born. Like it was a big deal. Of like watching, I've mentioned my mom's from Chicago. Watching Michael Jordan was a big deal, and it was like just so cool to see this. And like that picture was a cover of Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated for kids, mm-hmm. which I had a subscription to and loved. Shocking. Yeah, that's not a huge shock. Um... But like, I can like rem- I can vividly remember like having that and thinking this was the coolest picture ever of just seeing that and I don't know to see it again and to see like the close ups of all the different people reacting how they were and I only mentioned a little kid but you can see like one guy like have that still like fuck face mm-hmm. of of seeing it and, it and it's incredible and you mentioned Bulls win we got the celebrations in the locker room. We get Leo. Saying that was poetry. Yeah. The man in the mask. Which, this is 98, and that movie had just come out. Mm-hmm. He said he was watching it that Yeah, time. he was just watching it, and it was so great to see that. I did the Leo meme, the holding the beer and pointing yeah. at it. Which is crazy, though, that Leonardo DiCaprio, like, went to Utah for this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, Sundance is, is up there, so, I, you know, obviously this is May, or in June, rather. And it's not, um, you know, Sundance is much winter. earlier. It's in the winter. But I don't know. Maybe he's just like, yeah, you know, I rented that place and let's go up there. Um, you know, Titanic had come out the year before. He's probably rolling in a lot of yeah, dough. It's not that far from LA. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? It's not, a PJ. No. Uh, well, maybe not. We know we know Leo's thoughts yeah, on the PJs. I don't know if he was in the environment then. Maybe. That's a fair point. Um, but anyway, so we move on. We get one of the greatest, one of the greatest like runs of showing people celebrating, and we get Michael Jordan in the hotel mm-hmm. with playing the piano, and those are some of the better jokes too that I saw both on Twitter and in different podcasts. Mainly, pardon my take, and, and Bill Simmons and Rosillo talking about it of like, how much power do you have to have to play an instrument that you've never played before? <laughs> 
And no, and everybody's like, "Great job, man! Great job!" <laughs> um, also, great job of the camera crew of just following it in there. Mm-hmm. Of like Michael Jordan probably could have easily said, "Like fuck off! Like you're done! Like season's over! Your job is done!" And like someone still followed him. But I also that. feel like he was probably having too much fun to care. That's a good point. But yeah, we—I mean, we get the we get the parade. We go back to it, and we learned about how the. What was it? The Tribune sports section is the AP top ten of sports sections. We get that oh, in the background. Yeah. Um, we get them running out with the six different Larry O'Brien trophies. We get everything, and we get Phil kind of throwing some shade about coming back and and everything there. And you know, it's pretty incredible. He gets a, he gets the entire crowd of people to boo Jerry Krause. Yeah, which you think like. Of different parade moments that we've seen throughout, you know, what we've seen on TV of other teams, both Chase Utley and Jason Kelsey, both dropping the F-bomb, of, like, this kind of stuff, of getting after, going after, like, someone in there, someone in the in the organization, and, like, getting people to rally around it. Yeah, but neither of them were going after anyone in the organization. They got people to, to boo Kraus. No, Utley or Kelsey were Oh, yeah, I guess so. But, like, they weren't, tr- but, like... My point is, like, they were celebrating something, and, like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's not, like, whatever whatever qualms you had. Like, there wasn't any sort of, like, they could have easily, like, Jason Kelsey could have easily gone after whoever doubted the Eagles instead of just well, said, like, did. Would, instead, but instead of, like, listing off everything, like, letting us boo that and, oh, yeah. and everything there, and, like, play up the crowd of, like, saying that, all those people that that said Nick Foles was done and all, all this sort of stuff, like Phil just went for it there, which I think is incredible and and you know and frankly kind of insane. It's Phil. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a good point. It's Phil, but we really get a lot of the legacy stuff that that ends up getting talked about there before we find out the fallout, or the true fallout, I should say, and we get Jerry Reinsdorf coming back in hot. Saying that he he asked Phil to come back again, Phil says he wants to take a break, which only ends up being a year before he goes to to L.A. Um, and Jerry Reinsdorf then comes back out and saying that everybody's market value is too high, and they had to rebuild, which is insane to think about. And I get there's a salary cap and everything, and it's tough to to keep yourself in place there. But you're really telling me you couldn't figure out some way. With Michael Jordan, and, and MJ says this, but figure out some way to tell him, like, hey, what do you want, like, how do you want to approach this? Because we've seen it a ton. Tom Brady has, has been praised for this throughout the, the Patriots run. Sidney Crosby has come out and said, I need to do this so that my team can still be in contention. Mm-hmm. And the Penguins have gotten close and had back-to-backs a couple of years ago. And there's a bunch of other athletes too that have done that. Like I get this is early on in a salary in the salary cap era of sports, but like you really couldn't think about it that way of, of how do you want to do this when Kraus has the wherewithal to think I need to trade back up to get Scottie Pippen in, in it was the '87 draft and all this different stuff. Like he like you can't think some way outside of the box to try to make this thing work. Like 
there's that much of a vendetta at this. Yeah, and it's also interesting because they, they whip out the iPad again and they show Michael Reinsdorf saying this stuff and he's like, we've never talked about it because we just, like, don't talk about it because it's just, like, such a point of contention. Like, he's not over the him breaking that team up, so, like, he doesn't bring it up because I think besides that, they probably have a pretty amicable relationship, but he's like, we don't talk about that. Yeah. So he had never heard his, like, actual reasoning for doing it and that's when he says, like, he doesn't, he thinks it's just stupid, it's, like, bullshit, because he says he, he thinks everyone would have signed one-year deals, like, he was on one-year deals at that time, and, like, Michael Jordan isn't motivated by money, he's vo- motivated by winning, so I, I mean, I think he would have taken a pay cut. Scotty was already... Scotty's re- the only one that's debatable of whether or not he would have come back, because they, they end up doing a signing trade with him. Yeah. Um, same with Steve Kerr, they end up trading him. And what's interesting, and what I thought maybe they would talk about, it was that there was a lockout, and that's why, if you look up when any of these transactions, including Michael Jordan retiring, occur, it's all in January 99, Mm. after David Stern opens the league back up. Um, And, I don't know, I I think that's a huge part of it, to, to think about that summer of 98, and like, if the if free agency was around or or if it was to the level that it was today of like if the if LeBron never leaves Miami and the team ends up like fine you know they get these other role players in that second run after getting the wheels completely blown off them by the Spurs in 2014 mm-hmm. and they figure out a way to go on another run and then Pat Riley comes out and does the same thing of being like all right it's either Dwayne Wade or LeBron and you know whatever ends up happening. I mean, I know LeBron has since gone to two different teams since 2014, back to Cleveland and now to L.A., but that's, like, the only, like, comparable thing we can think about. Maybe Kevin Durant leaving the Warriors. Yeah. That's, like, the other closest, but um, I don't know. I I don't know what what to think about of how that all goes because Kevin Durant was very clear, like, he wanted to come in and get his rings. It was pretty clear, especially now after the fact, he never really meshed with the Warriors. It was kind of the elephant in the room of, like, he came in, was that guy, helped the team win in 2017 and 18, but, you know, he, he Draymond and him weren't really pals. It didn't really seem like he and Steph got along and, and that there was some sort of leadership thing there. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there is even another opportunity to, th- to think about what could be the next tradeaway of, or the next blow up of, of something like this, and I, I get Ryan sort of saying like, "Oh, we didn't want it. To, we didn't want this to happen to what happened to the Celtics of how they waited too long." But like, a, you're really telling me that you think that Michael Jordan would let that sort of thing happen? And I get like, he's getting older. He's getting into his late 30s in 1998. But like, if you can convince him and maybe Steve Kerr, you can say your stuff about Rodman, about how quickly his star went out after 1998, but maybe you convince him to stay, maybe you convince someone else to be the next Rodman. When we talked about it with Rodman, though, a lot that, like, his performance largely depends on him being in the right system for him, and this system clearly worked for him, so who's to say if he had stayed in it that he would have been fine? That's a really good point. Yeah, and yeah, if you can convince, if you convince if you can convince MJ and Phil to stay, I yeah. think they figure out 
who to be the next Kerr Rodman. Pippen's the one that is like the big X factor of who's going to be the the number two guy. But who's to say Michael just doesn't say like, I'll take this pay cut, give that money to Scotty. Yeah, the only thing that, the only thing with that is that there were obviously the documentary starts off with yeah, Scotty Pippen trade, yeah. wanting to be traded, and it's not the first time that he's done that. And that's like that's the only thing that's like giving me pause of saying, all right, let's go ninety nine. The short season would be great. Um, you know, to think about it, it's the Spurs team that has a young Tim Duncan. It's David Robinson's last run. Um, and then the, the Knicks, who kind of go on this, they go on a run. They were the eight seed, but they you know go out and get Latrell Sprewell and go on this miraculous run. And what they had to do, maybe they could have done that to tr- try to get MJ. Mm-hmm. That's really like that's the interesting thing about this too. I mentioned the the Bill Simmons essay he read on his podcast when LeBron was leaving a couple years ago and ended up going to L.A. And talked about 98-99 of when MJ retired. And it's a really interesting point, too, because, A, they don't talk about what led up to Michael Jordan retiring the second time. And a big part of it is is the, the blossoming salary cap era. There weren't teams that knew when players were becoming free agents and saving up cap space for it. So no one really could have, quote unquote, because like you said, Michael Jordan could have taken a pay cut and in the right situation maybe ends up doing it, and then kind of does when he goes to when mm-hmm. he has the leadership stuff in Washington and comes out of retirement. But nobody had, had the space to sign Michael Jordan in 99, especially for that short of a run. It wasn't like the Sixers could just say, like, hey, we got Iverson. You want you you want him to throw you the ball? Like, yeah. They didn't have the money to pay him. Um, you know, so it's, it's just kind of weird how it didn't abruptly end because they... It ended on the right note of winning, and they do the, you know, here's where everything happened, the text bubbles and everything. Um, but Michael does say, like, he isn't okay with the fact that they didn't try for seven. Like, he's not over it, and he won't get over it, and he doesn't think it's right. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good point. Is that is that, you think, the tone they wanted to do for us as the viewer being like, well, Michael's dissatisfied with how it ended... And not that I'm dissatisfied. I thought the documentary was incredible. Yeah. But, like, this is going to be an abrupt ending. Like, so, like, if you want more reasons, go look them up. Like, that kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then they go into, like, this weird, like, fluffy, like, Phil had everyone write something down and burn it. Oh, and yeah, then the burning note he's, thing. like, yeah. something about a spark and hope and just light a spark and something. There's, like, a little bit of a, like, fluffy, frou-frou part of the ending, but that's yeah. just, like, not the story. So, we have another question, and we actually have one more, too. I didn't know where to fit Steve's question, so I'll ask that towards the end. Okay. Uh, but this is from from my buddy Michael Von Trachtenberg. Asked a question back in the, the draft day, or the draft podcast, mm. uh, but is a huge Bulls fan, and is loving what we're doing. He wants to know, if the MJ signs Scotty and MJ for 99-2000, so I'm guessing he means 99 and then again in 2000 because his question is do they win against the lakers um the kobe shack lakers yeah which they it's tough to think about because in 99 with the short season they end up losing the spurs um and that spurs team was was, was pretty solid with the mm-hmm. number of guys they had um 
I don't know. Because Michael's like what, like thirty-seven? Yeah. If like say they say Kobe and Shaq go there or whatever it is, because you hear Kobe or not Kobe, you hear MJ say like, "I ain't Shaq." You know they they you know he ain't you know Karl Malone ain't Shaq. All this sort of stuff. It would have been really interesting to see, and yeah. I think, and we talked about this before. Like one of the great misses that we had, and a lot of people talked about when Kobe died of missing LeBron versus Kobe, but we never got MJ versus Kobe. Yeah, and. It was just kind of, it was really just one falling short and the other not ascending, not ascending quick quick enough of the, you know, the last dance happens and Kobe and Shaq are just, I think, just trying to figure out their, what, what they got. Cause Mm -hmm. I think that's year two of Shaq is 97, 98. Um, and Kobe's only in his, that's his second year in the league. Yeah. Um, so it's tough. I, I think if you get to the... If MJ and, and Scotty come back in a short season and the way the playoffs were kind of set up of how quick that season turned around. Because unlike in 2012, where that was also a short season because of a lockout, and that finals ended, I think, close to June 30th. Because I remember... Seeing someone at the 4th of July, and it felt like the finals had just ended and LeBron had just won his first title. I think the 99 season ended later, but I don't think it was that late. I think it was just bang, 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 bang. It was mm-hmm. this kind of fast-paced season, and my point of bringing that up is Michael Jordan's getting up there in age. He's going to be tired. And he's going to be tired, and he's not going to want to sit out games. Load management is certainly not a thing then, aside from... The jokes that were made about Dennis Rodman going to Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and I'd heard, like to see it, but I don't know. And we've heard like from the Warriors and things like how exhausting it is to like go to the final. Like so sad, but like to go to the finals that many times in yeah. a row, you're playing how many extra games, and you have to keep your intensity up for how much longer, and your then yeah. your off season is shorter, and like. There's, you know, parades and media and that just a whole bunch more stuff that you have to do. So I think it's, you know. Yeah, it's Belichick's worst nightmare. It's, <laughs> it's why he doesn't like that he won, you know, yeah. six titles. It's, I'm like, kidding, infinitely but... exhausting. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> no days off, you know. I don't know how it would turn out. I don't want Michael Jordan to hear this and get a chip on his shoulder from me, but. Could you imagine? <laughs> go, go that Emily and Jordy. <laughs> we'll get him. That was, like, a Coach O. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, no, Michael Jordan. That was a weird Not your best impression work. I don't know. I was trying to do an intense voice. And I went to go drove. Yeah. Oh. All right. Do you want one more question? Uh, Yeah. It comes from our our good friend, Steve Kaiser, Mm -hmm. who wanted to know of how many tears were shed when we heard Stuart Scott's voice. And this goes back to episode nine, so I should have asked him while we were in between episode nine and ten. Um, a little bit with this one. He was so good at his job. He was so good at his job. And I was trying to think after Steve asked this earlier in the day of, I think we might have seen Stuart Scott and not in a weird CGI DH Keith Olbermann type of way yeah, they that didn't we got. Do that with Stuart. Um, but in I one of those we, like flashback ones. I think we did. And I don't think it was officially in the doc. I think you're right. I think it was a flashback. But I think then, same thing with Kobe of like seeing them and. You know, that's tough, and both of their deaths kind of shocking out of nowhere. Stuart, we knew, had cancer, yeah, but... we knew it was sick. But, you know, with anybody with cancer, it's a... You don't think that it's happening until it does. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and Kobe, obviously. N- nobody knew, including him, that that was going to happen. But, um, yeah, it, it, to, to short answer, you know, there were some. But it is nice <coughs> to be able to see these people in this documentary, whether Kobe, Stuart Scott, Gus. Kai Chung. Well, Connie Chung isn't dead. I know, but it's fun to see her. Just like doing the, I was saying, like doing these people that have passed, the funny guy that he plays the quarter game with that we learned like passed in January, yeah. like doing things that they loved and like that their legacies like still recorded on camera. You know, whether it's Kobe talking about Michael or Stewart, you know, on Sports Center, these security guys just hanging out with Michael Jordan and like really like being a light in his life and like a a strong friendship. I think it's really nice. No, I agree. So, Emily, I have a question for you. Uh-oh. Now this is over, mm-hmm. what are we going to do next? Oh, I don't know. We have more documentaries to do for real sports. Yeah, there's a new one coming out this weekend, apparently. Yeah, the, new, the, the, the Lance, Lance Armstrong. Armstrong. Yeah, we get that. We're going to get the 98 home run chase. We're going to get some. You know, we're going to get new ones, but we'll find something to check out. I'd mm-hmm. like to do baseball, mm-hmm. maybe hockey. I think eventually Greg do the Duke lacrosse one. That one's really good. Obviously, you know, there's plenty of basketball ones to do too, but we've just done the last dance. We've done a lot of basketball before that. So diversify our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of formula uh, on Netflix. Yeah. And yeah, we could do one of those. Adam Carolla, I think is the producer of a lot of those. There's other weird ones. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff. But if you have a suggestion for us, that's kind of what I was getting after. I thought maybe you might have had something on the tip of your tongue you wanted to say. No. But if you, the listener, has something you want to suggest, tweet at us. Jordo9, third and girl, underscores on both sides of the and for Emily. Like I said, Jordo9 for me. Thunder ThunderBLG is the handle on Twitter. Our Instagram, Thunderblog Sports. Uh, just at the website. And join our Facebook group, the Bullpen Cart Podcast facebook group be a part of the conversation i'll probably put up a poll and the places we can access the documentary for those that joined us starting during the last dance uh in the first couple real sports that we did which were requiem for the big east hit it hard which is the john daly doc rodman rodman one and not done the cat the coach cal one did we do a fifth before that i'm not sure if we did or not um, but those three, three basketball, one golf, we won, not necessarily criticism, but one thing that was pointed out to us was finding documentaries that were widely available because we jumped on the ESPN Plus train when we got Disney Plus and had that bundle. So we didn't realize, well, not everybody did that. And those that didn't do that are idiots. You're missing out on The Mandalorian. That's not very nice. Well, you're missing out on The Mandalorian, The Simpsons. I'm sorry, I'm giving it. No free ads. Never mind. You're not idiots. You're smart. No free ads. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kidding. I love all of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. This was this was great. What? I'm I'm pandering here. <laughs> anyway, Emily, this has been incredible. I am excited to see what we do mm-hmm. going forward. I was looking, just happened to me because I was looking at my golf goals for 2020. I looked at podcast goals, and one was start a pop culture podcast with you. So this has been Main the mainstay of pop culture of the last five. It has weeks. been that's true. Um, I know we were not talking about The Bachelor. Listen to your heart, which I know you've enjoyed. I've been watching, yes. But we can find other things to talk about week after week, along with various sports documentaries and movies that are out there. 
But seriously, everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for those that have given your thoughts and opinions and asked questions and all this stuff. It means a ton to me. It means a ton to Emily. I love the questions. Yeah, the questions are great. Stay involved. Stay involved. But we will talk to you guys soon. We are going to be doing, or at least I'm going to be doing with our good friend, making his return to the podcast, Ryan White, a soccer podcast because the Bundesliga was back this past weekend. Ryan is a big Premier League guy. Is going to help explain what storylines I should be paying attention to, what team Emily and I should be supporting. That's going to be a fun podcast. Uh, we might be doing it tomorrow night, so keep an eye out on Thursday. We might be recording it Thursday, so just make sure you subscribe to the podcast. The Bullpen Cart, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever your podcasts. But for Emily Anderson, I am Jordy Cannell. Have a great week, everybody. Hopefully we will talk to you later this week. And go Bulls. <laughs>